Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in with his legs. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Here We Go podcast. Well, it's another week at the Laugh Factory. Um, another interesting week, shall we say, at Pataudry. We have two home games to cover, uh, Motherwell and Hibs. Um, we'll have a, a brief look forward to the next upcoming fixture. And we've got some of your questions we're going to go through at the end as well. Uh, so joining me to dissect what I'm sure will be another wonderful, entertaining, cathartic podcast. Firstly, we have Martin Ingram. How are you doing, Martin? I'm doing well, thank you very much. Uh, Martin, you you obviously you were at Balmoral this afternoon. So um, did you get to see a, you saw another Aberdeen defensive masterclass before uh, we managed to come back? Didn't you? It 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 it's it probably compatible. Again, there's going to be a theme this week in relation to. Um, uh, porous defences, but at the very least, the uh, women's team managed to at least uh, convert that into a victory, which is something that the, the men's team is yet to deliver. So um, hopefully that could be a sign of better things to come. And of course, as always, Richard Hayes here. How are you doing, Richard? Uh, hello, Martin. Hello, the other Martin as well. Um, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm calm and relaxed and really just leaning into um, the fact that we're now the the new hips. The new hips. I mean, you're, you're calm and relaxed. Let's see, we'll, we'll, we'll see in about 58 and a half minutes uh, if you're still calm and relaxed. You might be better. You might get out your, we might get out of our system and then we'll be all zen ready for the start of a fresh week. But no, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. So let's go back to Motherwell at home uh, midweek. Um, a game that finished finished 3-3. Three, three. Um, Richard, what an opening 28 minutes that was. Um, the manager has spoken about his squad. Um, he's spoken about where he's light in a few places. Um, and that opening 28 minutes, um, was that Neil Warnock really trying to lean into and play the square peg round hole game? What people are forgetting here is this is a game plan that was in the building. This is a game plan that we started the season with, with Shaden Morris at right wing back. And it was a mixture of either Johnny Hayes or Ryan Duncan playing left wing back, which is no better or worse. Uh, Johnny obviously has more experience of playing there, but no real better or worse than having Jamie McGrath there at left wing back, I, I would say. And but back three to start the season was Devlin, Rubicic and McKenzie. So, you know, McKenzie and Devlin there and, and just... I. Uh, centre half by trade playing in the middle so uh, from that basis it was it was a game plan that was already in the building and a game plan that the players should have been tactically astute enough to execute much better than they did so you know I'm, I'm 
really don't think that you can put the whole blame with Neil Warnock on this one. Um, however, up against the side that you know wanted to get the wide men in the game, we're kind of playing a 4-5-1, 4-3-3. It turned out to be pretty suicidal. Um, the defending was obviously as bad as we've seen all season that, in that opening half hour. And yeah, Shaden Morris was exposed repeatedly down that right-hand side. I don't think some of the other defending was too clever either. Um, Gartman for the second, just completely unable to track Bear's run as he peeled off into the back post when, when it was a very good ball for the second. Came in. Um, you know, dumb for Morris for the penalty. Um, and then the third goal is just a sort of goal that kind of goes against you when you are in that way. It, and it seemed as if every time Motherwell, because they had another couple of half-decent chances as well, and it seemed that every time Motherwell came forward, it was sheer and utter panic in our back line. And we weren't making any roads, inroads into the Motherwell defence whatsoever. But, you know, it, it needed to happen. It absolutely had to happen. It could th- really have happened at 2-0. But the changes obviously gave us an immediate boost with the goal that came. I mean, that doesn't happen very often when you do that, obviously, that we get the, the goal from Luis Lopez with basically his first touch when he comes on. And it, it changes the atmosphere immediately. Now, clearly, uh, uh, quite a few people had left at 3-0, hadn't they, Martin? Yeah, a couple of people. A couple of people I know who had left at three 0 That's right. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I am. Um... I, I, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Look, okay. <laughs> no, I knew. I knew. I was. I knew you were going to dig me out for this. So um, I was standing just outside the Manny Mart. Um, that's the new, <laughs> the new place on um, on Merkland Road. So I celebrated the first goal from our first goal from there, um, and I celebrated our second one at the top of the spill. No, I, I obviously can't blame you really after that start, and I know you definitely went alone. <laughs> we said folk being huckled out of security, not out of security, huckled out by security, out of the corporate seats because they started fighting <laughs> with each other. Um, it was, it was quite the evening, and it, it it felt quite clown school really in that opening twenty five thirty minutes, um, and then you know we get the goal back. The atmosphere does change. There's a there's a hunger, there's an eagerness about the players. Motherwell look completely uncertain themselves. Uh, we score a, a very good second goal. Good corner delivery. Nicky Devlin does really well to get the header on target. It's a good save by Kelly. And a really um, composed finish at the back post by Garman. Um, and, of course, then we have like a four-minute VAR check on that for no particular reason. That sucks a little bit with life, a little bit of the atmosphere at the stadium, and we maybe don't we don't really impose ourselves as much as we could have done towards the end of that first half. But again, come out the start of the second half, get the goal very early on, and thinking right, surely, surely it's three points here, surely three goals in twenty minutes, we can go and win this. But it, again, to kind of leave that evening on a downer, I thought thought the last forty minutes were overly frantic, lacking any patience and or poise and just really disappointing so that you know you, you don't end up coming out of that game either really kind of being furious with the start which you still were quite angry with the start or at least giving them praise for their comeback which was spirited it was positive it was good you're just annoyed at how they weren't able to convert that momentum into something more tangible than a single point martin um We'll, 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 come, we'll come to you, Martin. How were you, after 28 minutes, how were you feeling? Because um, 
a lot of people that I've spoken to since, um, and I've spoken, and we've seen some of the replies to some of our some of the tweets on the, the our social media and Facebook and things like that. You know, I don't think anybody really really saw this Aberdeen team coming down from a back from a three nil deficit even that early in a game. The, the the feeling that I had after about half an hour is very similar to some of the feelings that I've had. I, again, for those of us that are long-standing and long-suffering uh, Don supporters, um, it was a, a, a number of these kind of games where the overriding feeling, because when you're 3-0 you're down that early, and to be perfectly honest, and again, it's maybe the worst situation to be in at all, it was feeling completely apathetic. Um I've, I've, I've witnessed a number of those games where you're two or three nil down so early in the game that the the game is effectively over and you just kind of think, okay, we'll just we'll just get this one out of the road and then um, uh, we'll we'll deal with whatever backlash comes of this. Was, the the one thing I was definitely thinking about, Martin, and again, sorry, this is I, didn't, I don't want to end up in the podcast of digging you out, but I, I I did refer to that comment you made last weekend. Where you know we got the Celtic game and out of the way, and we're going to avoid these kind of five and six nil scuddings. And I thought, oh my god, this is <laughs> this is going to come back and bite us an awful lot more quickly than I thought. Um, but I had absolutely no thought at all that we were going to come back from that. And I, yeah, what I thought was probably best case scenario it would uh, the, the rest of the game would play out and it would finish three nil, and um, there would be the kind of expected backlash for and you know the bemusement in relation to why as exactly as Richard's touched upon why we've decided to take the insanity route and go back and try uh, a, a formation and personnel which clearly didn't work at the beginning of the season um, but for that to then turn around again and it's, and it's one of those things in sport um, having having been so far behind get getting a couple of goals before half time and we all know how it is when you're defending a comfortable lead and then all of a sudden a team starts coming back at you, and everybody everybody senses it. Everybody realizes, oh my goodness, this is this is this 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 could actually happen. And at half time, I think I'm not the only one. I think everybody, um, cer- certainly um, anyone old enough, would have thought back to uh, the, the 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 game that Ebi Skovdal got finally got his first league win in um, away away at Fir Park. In fairness, but uh, the the six five game. Uh, that finally got them off the mark with a win, and it really did have all the hallmarks of that. Um, uh, I remember tweeting that out, and then I think the Mo- a Motherwell fan responded saying he'd actually take six <laughs> six the the game that they had against Hibs. So Motherwell certainly had uh, a good history of being involved in those types of just wild, uh, eclectic scorelines. But having it's yeah, it's it's hard to know how to feel at the end of that because obviously to salvage anything from that situation is fantastic but in in the one hand how how we ended up in that situation in the first place i mean that has to i think i think a lot of people have covered this already but for as much credit as you want to give uh neil warnick for for rapidly making changes at at, at, at the half an hour mark and for turning that around you've got to similarly give uh, an equal apportionment of blame of absolutely getting the wrong system the wrong personnel Exactly as you say, Martin, square square pegs and round holes, or um, whichever analogy you want to uh, arrive at. Because basically, he almost certainly played us out of any chance of winning this game. And 
um, if, if, if we're going to have any serious aspirations of moving ourselves up to the top six, let, let alone European places, we have to be winning the home games against the teams around about us. And in that game and, and the one we're about to discuss, we, we've, we've failed on both occasions. Yeah, it's probably worth pointing out that last time Morris was actually deployed from the start as a right wing back was against Hecken. Now, clearly, um, a much better quality of opposition in terms of who was enjoying the space left behind by Morris on that occasion. But equally, it was a night then when we were completely exposed down that side of the pitch time and time again. So it, that experiment hadn't been hadn't been deployed again since then. So. My point really was in saying that it was a tactical plan that was in the building is that the players themselves should have been much better equipped to deal with it. This was not just something Warnock threw at, threw at them um, a couple of days before the game and they have to completely adapt to it. And, you know, it's probably also something that he's come up with, not just by himself, but in conjunction with Peter Levin, who would have been in the building, obviously, back in back in August as well. Um so it's just to, just to reinforce that point as well, and yeah, it's that particular experiment of Morris at right back hasn't hadn't been seen since. But I suppose when you were a defender down, and who knows what the original plan would have looked like before Richard Jensen's late call off, the head scratching one is obviously Angus Macdonald and his failure to command anything like a regular place this season. It's um, it, it it's it was confusing to me when he was being left out in favour of. Um, left out in favour of Stefan Garterman, who I, you know, is obviously here on loan, and I don't think he has shown himself to be a, to be a step above McDonald. Um, you have to, I mean, when you're talking about the three at the back, you, you understand that Jensen's a left-sided player. Rubizic has been the uh, Pollock replacement, the guy to to go and win the ball in the air and, and challenge for those balls. But yeah, to not be getting a game ahead of Garterman, um, and. This is far from saying that Angus MacDonald is a is a great the the answer the secret the difference maker that will change us from being a a very much below average team to one that can suddenly start putting some wins together. But you know you had experience, you had leadership there, and was it not Neil Warnock himself that was berating the lack of leaders uh, in the team just the other day? So so that to me was a little bit confusing that we couldn't find a shape that accommodated um, both of those players in the back three, at least Angus McDonald in the back three rather, um, and allowed Nicky Devon to to stay on the right wing back beat. But, you know, even that, it may have just been a bad shape to play up against that Motherwell team regardless. Uh, Martin, just, just for a bit of, bit of lightness, um, that, of, that 28 minutes um, that Shaden Morris was on the pitch, I was trying to have, I was trying to have a think um, of, of, a, of a, a performance in sort of recent memory of somebody who's had, you know, as torrid an awful a time on the park. And all I could come up with was Shfunzo Ojo against Rijeka. But he managed to get him sent off, self sent off after twenty minutes. This um, is for light relief. This is yeah. Well, we'll have a we can have a laugh about it now. You see, it's gone. Um, I mean, he wasn't even in the squad yesterday, so you know, who knows? Um, you know, but, no, can you can you think of um, somebody who's had a, a worst opening worst opening spell to a game? Uh, perhaps Considine when he got himself sent off against Celtic or something, but. Yeah, Considine's a good shout, and in fact, Considine seemed to poor poor Andy because I mean, again, I think he. Over the piece did a did a very very good job over a, over a number of years and um, but but yeah in in some of the big games against uh, 
teams with players that could really do some damage on on the flanks. I think he was often pretty pretty badly exposed, and that was that was about two minutes, wasn't it? I, I mean, I mean, I, I, the, the, it's 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 hard to go away from Nigel Pepper as the mother of all uh, <laughs> immediate impacts in a bad way. You just can't um, beat that, can you? I don't think in world no. football you can beat that. I think that just that's a conversation ender. Yeah, but I think this. If you're if you're looking at this season, I think that's definitely been the 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 uh, most uh, impactful for all the wrong reasons. Um, Thirty minute spells uh, that we've seen from somebody, and on the one hand, I mean, yeah, I, I, I get the point that Richard was elaborating beforehand in relation to it shouldn't have been anything that was completely unique to Shaden. Because he'd been asked to play that role before, and again, obviously, the last time was 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 the Hecken game. But I mean, that was in in the, in the preseason and coming through to about as late as August. We were we were utilizing that quite regularly, if for no other reason than we were really struggling to get a, a set of fit centre backs in the door. So that that wasn't an unfamiliar uh, setup at all with Nicky Devlin, the right centre back, and 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 Shaden Morrison, the the the, the right of the wing but fundamentally i think the biggest problem and again it's it's very easy to dig someone out for playing a position that while wiley has played that a number of times this season um it's not something that he has been um playing very much of his entire career he is a, he is a winger who is being pressed back to play in a right wing back position and uh, i think the irony is it may well have been something that would have been much better suited to him had he been asked to come on at three nil down and actually go go forward and actually kind of carry some of the attack from from behind, but when you're looking at him to do basic defensive duties, and I mean I think at least a couple of the three goals you could say stemmed at some in some part, well one and very directly obviously, um, but stemmed in some part from Shaden not not having those natural defensive instincts, and not not being in in the correct position in that regards, although. He at least has the excuse of not being a right a right back or a right wing back by trade, but it was very reminiscent to some of the issues uh, Jalen Richardson had at the start um, of, of of his well, let's say the start during the duration of his tenure with Aberdeen last season. Um, still, have to keep reminding me, he's still technically one of our players, isn't he? Um, but um, yeah, just that kind of complete lack of a positional awareness and and. You know, maybe that combined with a lack of willingness to make the extra effort to get back into that position. So, for 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 this season, I think that's the runaway winner for uh, worst worst cameo. I'd, 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 if I was very ungenerous, given the fact that we're going to be covering the Hibs game later, um, in 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 terms of in terms of performance, so bad that it required a very quick swift swift change. Um, and it's not entirely his fault, but Slobodan Grubišić being asked to play on the right of a back three and basically get torn apart by uh, Yuan for 45 minutes before we had to be forced into making a change. But again, I think that was that was probably a combination of uh, a poor performance on the day, but also maybe asking him to do perform a role that probably wasn't really suited to him. That's, that's my only other thought from this season. And it was nil-nil when he got taken off. Um, Greg Tansy at Ibrox a few seasons ago. That was bad. That was really bad. Didn't make it to halftime, I don't think. Got holes off before halftime. On a booking, giving away a penalty kick. Touched the ball about six times. Barely found an Aberdeen player. Um, I recall that being pretty, pretty miserable. 
you know what we'll do in the summer, Richard. If we if we want to do one for you know one of these light kind of you know like space filler podcast for the summer, we'll we'll make up a start in eleven of these nightmare performances. Again, your use of the word light is quite instructive. <laughs> well, you know, it's just it's one of those. It's like we can once once the season's over, we can have a laugh about it. Once it's gone, it's gone. You know, I mean, the pain will still linger, but you can have a bit. You can have a bit of fun with it. Um, <laughs> in the second half, Richard. Um, we had uh, a Mayovsky disallowed goal. Um, obviously, some VAR nonsense that w- went on with that. And a Motherwell goal disallowed. Um, where did you stand on both of those ones? Yeah, I think both of these games um, over the last week have had uh, two less goals than they probably should have done. Um, you know, As I understand it with offsides, the angle of the camera doesn't actually matter, or at least it shouldn't matter. I think that there's, there's computer models that are produced to... Uh, make up for the angle that the camera's at apparently um but what does matter is obviously where the var assistant referee draws that line from and this looked at best imprecise um with Mioski versus the center half and at worst i would say designed to back up the original decision which obviously was given offside um we're in a kind of odd situation where I sit at the game now because um, we're at the back of the RDS downstairs, so comfy seats. But behind us, all the executive boxes are the tellies. So anytime something like this happens now, everybody turns round. Not as we're probably just a little bit too far forward to really see, but the folk behind us turn round to look at what's been happening on the TV screens to see whether it was... And when people first saw it, they were cheering because they thought, well, that's a goal. That looks onside. And to the naked eye, it absolutely does look onside, I would say, at the point that the ball leaves his feet. Um, it, it's one of those that's so, so close. But as I say, there is that. To me, it's the it's the fact that the lines don't appear to have been drawn necessarily precisely. And that, yeah, it, it just doesn't look right. Um, but obviously I would say that because I want Aberdeen to score. The one at the other end is, I, I can see why a foul is given. Absolutely. There's a push into McGrath and McGrath goes careering into to Roos, who'd already obviously not dealt with the corner very well. Surprise, the bloody prize. Uh, but a little bit weak, a little bit cheap. But I can see why that was given, to be fair, uh, which puts it at least ahead of the one that uh, St. Johnston had a goal ruled out for the other week. It, we're just getting things re-refereed and that was never meant to be the intention um i was really encouraged the other week at ibrox when you had a referee actually stand up for his original original decision and you know if you haven't seen things then that's fair enough and i think when we come on to talk about hibs i think that's probably why the penalty wasn't given nicky devon penalty wasn't given the referee's got the best view ahead of the camera views of that incident about whether it's maybe hit above the the t-shirt line um the camera's obviously all on the wrong side and the still frames that you're getting of that incident are not great i saw that they used one on sports scene the other night and it's again it's a blur the ball is a blur from that distance um i certainly from my position in the ground thought that was going to be a penalty kick on saturday but sometimes i think it's right just to stick with the referee's decision on offsides obviously shouldn't be a a sort of matter of debate it should be a it should be a clear yes or no not a case of a clear and obvious error unlike the decision to overturn fouls maybe we just got to accept that that was a really close one and on those millimeters he was offside but as i say it didn't look right and 
I think the line drawing was a bit suspect. Yeah, can I just add a thought on that? Because this is this is the one area that I was always the most uncomfortable about when VAR came in, that um, what on the face of it seemed to be one of the few areas of decision-making where you will get an objectively correct decision one way or another, the other one being the the, the goal line decision of whether whether a ball has crossed the line or not that objectively either has or hasn't been the case and and the similar thing with regards to the offside so in in theory I'm 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 kind of willing to accept on the day that if 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 you're going to be using that level of technology and again my position is that we shouldn't be using this technology but if if you're going to be using that technology then you can't then you can't then deviate away from the objective assessment at the end you know at the end of the day if it's indicating that somebody is a is a stud ahead of the defender then they are technically offside and if you if you start if you start trying to kind of claw back and bring a subjective element into that then why why are you bothering with it but 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 the thing i was always wary about is because you're going to get those kind of decisions where um you objectively kind of put two lines in and if a particular part of somebody's body is slightly ahead of somebody else it has to be a goal or not but i don't think anyone would disagree that that is if you were uh, a, a a referee i dare say not even not even just a, a supporter or a pundit and and you see that on real time and you even see it with a still frame you would you would say yeah he's on line with the defenders he should be given the benefit of the doubt that should that should stand as a goal i think 99 i mean again if you take away who 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 which team it was for or against if you just showed that with two neutral sets of players and you showed that you'd say yeah that's a guy who's in line with the defenders and he should be given the benefit of doubt and it, and it, and it should be a goal so in many respects and, and i knew this was going to come that with with the offside decisions specifically where everybody thought this was going to be oh fantastic we'll know definitively one way or another whether that's given or not and i think derek ray was one of the first people that really picked up upon that although he was arguing you know for var in that regard and saying yeah that will give a definitive clear decision one way or another but i just feel that's a goal that would never be awarded by if you didn't give them any technology at all and you just said eyeball that you know with the television footage just eyeball that and and, and decide if it's a goal or not i think 99 percent of officials would say yeah that, that he's he's, on, he's in line that should be a goal so um, I, th I think now we're getting games officiated in the way that they never would have beforehand because of that technological aspect. And uh, whether other people think that's a good or a bad thing, I don't know. But again, just um, in, in addition to all the other um, uh, criticisms that we've aired on this podcast in, in, in recent times, I would just throw that in as another interesting little nub. Yeah, again, I don't want to get bogged down in yet another discussion about this. Um, as much as I try keeping to bog us down in it. Well, quite. Um, but, you know, it's what we talk, what we as fans talk about. What I would say with regards to the benefit of the doubt is that's obviously no longer part of the language around offside. Now, what they've done in England, I know, and I'm not, I don't know whether this is the case in Scotland, but essentially... What they did in the first season of VAR down in England was four offsides. It was a, you know, the the lines were drawn, and there was an attempt to make it to that millimeter thing. So the lines would be drawn, and there would be very thin lines, and then it would be judged based on that. Obviously, what you see on TV for the TV images, for the benefit of being able to actually see and a bit more clarity, are much thicker lines, which would then obviously bring 
an attacker level with a defender much more often if you use thicker lines. Now we're not talking like lines which cover like two yards or anything, but thicker lines. So there's a bit more of uh, tolerance, I suppose, to the decision making. And therefore, you've much more chance of a defender being um, given as level at least with the defender based on the fact that they are now using these thicker lines with which to make the original decision. So that was a change that was brought in, uh, I think, ahead of a 22-23 season. Now, I don't know what um, f whether that's the protocol that they've used in Scotland. I don't know. I don't know whether it's a case of he is being given offside on those smaller lines or it's those broadcast lines that are being used. Again, the, the pictures we've seen are the broadcast lines and it, you know, it's being made to look as if Miofsky is ahead there. But it's certainly to the naked eye, and again, there is a, it's not a foreshortening effect, but there's an effect there based on where the camera is and based on the fact that Miofsky is to the far side of the camera. Obviously, that plays a part. If we were to look at a camera angle from you know, where the security booth is at Pataudry, for example, then that might give us a different impression of that offside decision. However, you know, as you've pointed out, Martin, to the naked eye, to anyone looking at that still image, to anyone looking at the at the actual real time footage, it looks onside. So therefore it's not a great look for the system when that's given as offside. But yes, we ha you know, this is one of these ones that we've ceded all control over to the technology and we've just got to hope that that technology and the application of it is as robust as possible and certainly one of the complaints obviously is the lack of camera angles and from a point of view of being able to sell it to the support I think that's more of an issue as I said right at the outset I believe my understanding is that that doesn't really matter as far as the calculation for offside goes but it certainly matters in how that is then presented to the fans. Uh, and Richard, just one brief final thing on the uh, Motherwell game. Um, in how strong a terms should the Aberdeen support be sending a message to the football monitoring board to say, don't even fucking think about signing Theo Bear? <laughs> um... One would hope that the days of picking up to Emmanuel Thomas's are, are gone. Um, and, and you can understand why, to a degree, that that happened, because you know we didn't have the recruitment team in place there. Stephen Glass is coming new to the country and probably not really with a, a, a knowledge of what he had to play with and where he had to get to and would have been impressed by what Emmanuel Thomas was doing towards the end of that season. And... Um, yeah, it was an expensive business. It wasn't a cheap deal for us, but um, yeah, you want to get players who are not just going to be flavour of the month and going to produce long term. Um, I think to me that the bigger concern about Wednesday night, again, what happened after we got back to 3-3 is we were, and well, what happened from 0-0 to 0-3 was we were so easy to play through. It does look like Neil Warnock is asking for more of a press than we saw latterly under Barry Robson, but it's far from a functioning team press. You're seeing, you know, individual midfielders, maybe two midfielders making the press by themselves, and all too often one pass from a centre half or from a full back back into a sitting midfielder is bypassing them and allowing 
the opposition team right onto our backline. So as much as we've rightly had criticism of that backline and the way they've performed and the individual errors that they've made, and oh boy, we're going to talk about some more in a few minutes' time, they are not being helped out by what they're seeing in front of them. I'm going to circle back on that one as well, Martin, because as uh, something of a Canuckophile, uh, I have uh, family live out in Vancouver, and um, I'm something of a closet Whitecap supporter, so um, I'll, I'll hear I'll hear none of this uh, stick against Theo Bear. Uh, and I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to us pairing him up with uh, Juliet Hoylett in the in, in the upcoming 2024-25 season. Excellent, crowbar. one of the Canucks. Well, you've well, you've mentioned Junior Hoylett, so let's get there. Um, so yeah, yesterday, uh, home Hibs game finished two two. Um, but before that, before that game happened, we had announced that we'd picked up uh, available on the free transfer market a man that uh, Neil Warnock knows well. Um, last seen at last seen playing for Vancouver Whitecaps um, is Junior Hoylett. Um, 33, 33 year old left winger, uh, Martin. Um, well, you say you've just given it a game away. You're a Canuckophile, so um, <laughs> so I, I expect I expect a full breakdown on this man. Oh man, I've I've I've, I've I'm hoisted by my own petard. I'm going to have to like come up with some <laughs> stunning stats over the back of this right now. Um, I, I do wonder though. Um, we we are potentially this is another one for the stat heads out there. We we we. If we get to a stage where we're playing uh, a couple of natural wingers and it's him and Johnny Hayes, I don't know what the oldest set of uh, uh, wingers that have ever played in the SPFL game before it is, but we might be we might be challenging those numbers if we have those two playing um, on the left and the right. Um, you know, at the end of the day, he obviously is a player with a certain element of so kind of similar to Neil Warnock himself, I mean, a, a, a guy that comes with a certain element of um, English Premiership Championship pedigree has 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 been around and, and, and been involved uh, quite a lot of time. He's obviously somebody who's played under Neil Warnock before, so he's a known quantity that he's that he's bringing in, and he's and he's come in as a free agent. So not 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 a lot of risk really in relation to bringing someone else someone in with that kind of profile i was thinking maybe 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 similar to was that spell when we brought andy driver in from um i think he just um he just finished a stint in the mls and was out of contract and we picked him up for a while and didn't i think we only ever played him in maybe one game one or two games and it never really transpired to anything but i don't see it as being a huge element of risk in that regard but um um, yeah, um, it, 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 it maybe does just speak more to uh, Neil Warnock if he wants to play in that particular system. So maybe, you know, something like the 4-3-3 that we, 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 we ended up going to against Motherwell and was kind of closer to what we how, how we set up against Hibs. You could see the sense in that, you know, if you're bringing him in for... So he, so he has Duke playing in that role to begin with, but he's obviously not nat- a natural left-sided winger in the same way that... Uh, Hoylet is, um, and so you can see that kind of sense of maybe bringing him into play in that position in kind of, you know, bursts of time. I, I don't necessarily see him as being a kind of a, a long-term starting option, but again, I, I could be wrong as well. I was saying something similar of Jamie McGrath when we first brought him in, and he's ended up um, not only solidifying a being, being one of the first names on the team sheet, but you know, being arguably one of our better players this season. So I'm not, I'm not expecting. 
um, Hoylet to have a similar impact in relation to that, especially not with the, the amount of time. But um, yeah, I see that as a pretty uh, low-risk low option for us. Two words. Greg Halford. <laughs> Seems unnecessarily harsh to bring that in the same... <laughs> Uh, it's like what it's one of those if you know you know sort of things i think there yeah you're not so you're not impressed richard is what you're what you're really trying to tell us as long as he keeps out the tabloids better than greg halford has done then that's that's the sort of minimum level of expectation i now have for this side this season um you know when i said we were turning into hibs at the outset of this podcast that's the sort of signing I'd absolutely expect for Hoops to make. Uh, well, let's well, let's get to the game. Um, so, um, obviously, Hoylet was on the bench, Martin. Um, Shade and Morris completely out of the squad. So, we find ourselves back to square one where we've got the same amount of wingers wingers in the, in the matchday squad anyway. Um, but, well, as Richard alluded to earlier on... Um, just a little bit more defensive nonsense from us, um, typified by uh, the opening goal for, for Hibernian. Um, they, uh, Martin Boyle scores after 12 minutes. Um, another, you know, we've got to talk about this keeper again. Another awful, awful kick out by Roos. McKenzie gets caught upfield because of it. Um, and they, I don't even want to say they break because I don't even think it counts as a break. Um, they just find that, you no know, Boyle finds himself left alone. And we can't get back in time, and you know we find ourselves twelve minutes, you know, possibly, you know, especially after the way we started on when on Wednesday, to find ourselves behind behind early again, just probably the last thing we needed yesterday. Yeah, and I think you look back over, and again, I'm, I'm maybe conflate conflate both goals in here, but I don't think anybody in the back five necessarily painting themselves in 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 a good light from a combination of both of those goals um you could speak to i think i think you're, you're saying like jack mckenzie slightly out of position but but in fairness and, and a lot of people might be saying you may well you may well ought to be expecting that kelarus is going to have an absolutely woeful uh clearance under no pressure and that you should be expecting this but if you're if your goalkeeper's taking the ball out strolling out in the 18 yard box you're expecting that to get a clearance it's at least reasonable enough that you're not immediately back under pressure inside two seconds um so so it, it, it kind of begins from there um the ball gets heaved back into the danger area the 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 the, 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 the one thing coming to that kind of aspect of um Gartenman ought to be doing better one-on-one with the the, the center forward in, in that regard and i think that's the one the one area where you could rightly say we miss someone like Rubicic is in that kind of one-to-one contest where there's an aerial ball to go and get. He is he is going to be literally he'd first getting in there and sorting that out in in, in a way that Garterman has struggled to do. And it stems from there. Um, the ball gets played out wide to Martin Boyle. I think Jensen's kind of caught in two minds with regards to whether to come out to try and intercept the ball or go with the run and again he just finds himself in no man's land and and as you've as you've already alluded to martin mckenzie's a good six yards off the pace in relation to reacting to that but we started with um i i, again, I don't want to put percentages onto the blame pie but it starts with kel and 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 it ends with him i don't think there was any need for him to rush out like that and effectively he makes a decision for a boil where 
he's he's just come out so quickly and it's a fairly simple um well i say fairly simple i'm sure it's harder to do in real life than it is when you're watching it but um he just needs to take a touch to take it away from him and uh stick it in the back of the net and then from the second goal of course um just a, a, a gobsmacking error from nicky devlin to just completely run past joe new i mean he's going he's going to be getting to the ball first so it's not even as if he's been you know outwitted by some piece of skill on on the wing or anything he's he's he's, he's clearly going to get to the ball first and this decides to run directly past it and um completely exposes us for a second so it, the, the 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 reason i thought i'd couple both those in right now is i wanted to come to uh, a stat uh, or set of stats in relation to how aberdeen have done defensively this season that i will take zero credit for i got this sent to me earlier this afternoon from uh, my good friend chris Crichton. so he was saying to me that in the league against teams that are currently above the bottom three so if you take out the games we've played against Ross County, St. Johnston and Livingston. Um, we've played 19 league games this season. The number of clean sheets we've managed to record in that period is zero. And the number of games where we've only conceded once is six. And of those, one of them was against Celtic, one of them was against Hearts, and two of the Rangers games, the, 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 the win at Ibrox and then the game that arguably should have been our only clean sheet where they get that last minute penalty through far so against if we're going to so we, we, we that kind of aspect we seem to have done with a number of obvious exceptions we seem to have done all right in games against teams where you know b better teams where we've maybe been forced to, to adopt more of a defensive formation to begin with and and, and 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 maybe see that out but effectively against against the teams that we're competing in and around for that um top six and then hopefully onwards european game we've been routinely in situations where we're shipping a minimum of two goals and bo both of the games we're covering fall within that bracket and you know neil warnock was pretty blunt in his assessment in, in the post the, the post-match uh uh interview that you can't expect to be winning games when you're not keeping clean sheets and we're not even close to keeping clean sheets at the moment so at, at the very least, he's recognised that that's an issue. He hasn't been obviously able to do anything to stem the flow of those goals um, in in the brief stint that he's had so far. But if we're seriously thinking about um, making any kind of impact against those teams in and around us, and again, six of our six of our last nine games will fall directly within that bracket. Um, we're we're going to have to be more resolute at the back than what we have been so far. How how and how we go about to do that who knows because it hasn't it, i mean the 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 evidence of the entire season so far suggested that we we haven't been capable of doing that yeah i mean it's, it's blindingly obvious it's been the defense all season long and it was the thing which barry robson was able to change enough to be able to get us on that run towards the end of last season you know you wouldn't say that we were blowing sides away in that spell you know i think we had seven wins in a row but there was also five maybe six clean sheets in a row as well and it's because we had that base we had that base of guys who just wanted to go out and would you know pump fists if they were making a crucial block in the last few minutes like i remember angus mcdonald doing against livingston um right at the start of that run that would 
really, really cherished that clean sheet. He also had a goalkeeper back then who was in his wee purple patch for his spell at the Dons. Not something you could say now. But as I alluded to earlier, I don't think it, that the people in front of him can be blameless at all. I think the the base that they're getting is not strong enough from that midfield. And we all speak and we all want this team to be a free-flowing, beautiful-to-watch football team. But you need you need to walk before you can run. You need to start with a base that is actually going to give you a chance of success in these games. And the last couple, I mean, coming from three behind on on Wednesday, obviously, and, and really gifting Hibs that first goal, to say nothing in the way we gifted them a route back into that game as well on Saturday. I mean, on that first goal, you know, I think there's, there's plenty of blame to go around. I don't think Jensen does terribly well either. And I I take your point that they shouldn't necessarily be expecting a poor kick out, but those centre-halves should be level. They are not. You have Jensen four or five yards behind, which means that their striker is able to be behind Gartman, which means that Gartman's got to run back to try and challenge for that ball. Gartman clearly should never let that bounce twice and should deal with it. But then what does Jensen do? Jensen gets caught in two minds between trying to help out Gartman and not realising the fact that Martin Biles run off his back and therefore is caught helpless, caught in a complete no-man's land. Then even when he runs back, he almost kind of runs into Keller Roos as well, so can't even make any difference to the ball on the goal line. It's just such a clusterfuck of a goal. And really, not the sort of goal that a functioning football team should give away. As we spoke about there, uh, Richard, uh, Nicky Devlin had, um, we'll say, an interesting afternoon. You know, Martin's obviously spoken about the goal, uh, the second goal where he just has a, has you know, I, 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 what I call a bit of brain failure. You know, don't know what he was doing there. Where you would just expect him to, you know, it, it, it the ball, the ball's there to go out. Just you no, know, get it out and give away a corner. Um, he also had an incident where there was a potential handball that you that you mentioned earlier on. Uh, he also had a goal that was offside, um, which you know, um, for the obviously the second ball in from Majowski after the the a free kick, um, it falls to him and he gets. He gets flagged offside. Um, he's been a solid performer this season um, for us, I think, and he's he's performed well at times. Um, it, it just football's one, football is one of these one of these things where when when they think when it's not going for you, it really just the house of cards really topples down on a, a certain player on one day, doesn't it? There's been a couple of real brain frayed from Nicky this season. Right at the outset, there was that one against Celtic where, again, he shipped a goal. Um, and, again, that proved pretty pretty key in that game as well. Uh, getting sort of back 2-1 ahead, if I recall correctly. It's, um, you know, we're not dealing with a, with a world-class right-back here. We're dealing with a guy that has been pretty effective at right wing-back for us this season. Has been a decent attacking threat both in normal play and from set pieces, has come up with a couple of really good goals, has impacted on us both offensively and defensively. But he's going to make errors. He's going to make mistakes. And and I think there has to be a tolerance of a certain amount of error with this team, with this level of footballer. But what we're seeing from certain individuals is week after week after week of errors and mistakes and basic weaknesses in their overall game. And we can't do anything about it, either because their backup isn't good enough or because we don't have the squad depth in particular areas. Um, Most glaringly to me, that's in goals. And, 
you know, I, I, I'm sorry to keep banging this drum again and again, but we've got another weekend where, yeah, he is largely, certainly at least takes a good share of the blame for that opening goal. And it's just not good enough. Kicking is such an important part of the game. And we were told, we were told at the outset when he signed, this is some, one of his strengths. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's clearly one of his major weaknesses in his game. And it's just been so frustrating watching him over the past nine months. His confidence is clearly shot, um, which is surprising because at times he comes across as quite arrogant. But... He's just unable to do even the basics now and every cross he looks jittery. Teams rightfully are putting the balls right on top of him at corners and surrounding him and adding to that pressure, adding to that on ease and it's just spreading through the rest of the team. I tried to go a week. I did say I'd go a week without really laying into Kelleroos but... The, the, the only thing I find surprising is that if you, because again, I, I think it's uh, uh, an open secret that uh, Kelarus doesn't want to be staying beyond the, the end of this season. Um, but the, to compare and contrast how Connor Barron has been treated, a player in a very similar situation where he's not agreeing to sign on to a new contract and um, at spells has very much been. Um, his, his, his game time has very much been harmed as a consequence of that, it seems, and yet we seem to have routinely stuck with Roos and goal through thick and thin, with the exception of that cup tie against Bonnie, Bonnie Rig Rose. You do, you do wonder how much further we need to go along before, or, or, or you know, how, how, how bad is the option of Ross doing that he has only had that one uh, attempt? I mean, at the end of the day, he's a, he's a, he's a professional goalkeeper. I thought, I think it might be at the stage where we just have to except that we are where we are with Roos's level of performance. It hasn't improved in recent times. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm similar with you, Richard. I don't necessarily want to put the boot in. I think a lot of people have been, you know, very, very anti Roos in recent weeks, while and while, while that's absolutely valid for the some of the recent performances. Again, he has had, I mean, you referred to it as a purple patch, but it was a really, really good run of form that he was on in the second half of last season. And, you know, it was a good enough run of form to be selected amongst his peers for the the Premiership team of the season. So he's he's certainly a player that has evidence that he has that ability from time to time. But for if it's a combination of lack of form, lack of confidence, or or just simply simply not wanting to be here anymore, I, 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 I think that decision needs to be made sooner rather than later. So sorry for turning a question on Nicky Devlin into uh, talking about Kelly weaknesses. But yeah, I, I think Devlin's been an overall positive contributor to, contributor to this team this season since he's joined us. Um, you know, I'm not expecting him to be bringing up trees. In fact, I'm probably been quietly impressed with the level of performance he's been given. Um, uh, and I think really if we're, if we're pointing fingers and pointing blame, of course, he's completely to blame for that equaliser on Saturday. But what then happened to the rest of the team? Why at 2-2 was that the signal for our heads to go? Because I, I want to say, actually, that we should have won on Saturday. I thought we played not great, but... But pretty well, pretty well. It's the highest XG we've had in this season. Again, XG is an imperfect measure, and um, but 2.61, and that was with some good openings created and some okay football being played at times. I thought it was it was progress of a sort. Um, certainly more offensive than we've been, and you know I think there were signs that 
the sort of messages that Warnock wants to impart are beginning to work. Um, so it's really disappointing that that was then, and I suppose it's because confidence is so low and because things are so fragile right now that when you lose a goal as poor as that one, that you aren't going to react well to it. You, you are going to panic. And it just got as frantic as that last 40 minutes against Motherwell had been. It was the same thing. Far, far, playing far, far too quickly. Any free kicks given within about 60 yard radius were just being pumped as long as they could be. And we've not really got anybody in that team that's going to dominate and win the headers anymore. So it was utterly pointless. It's, yeah. That, again, to me, that was a real frustration. The closing part of the match, having actually played, I thought, okay to pretty well up to that point. Yeah, and I'd, I'd endorse that because, again, bringing it back round to Nicky Devlin again, um, for and similar to, it was interesting you mentioned that mistake he had very early on in, in that home game against Celtic. But the one thing that I would say for Devlin, he's definitely one of the leaders in the team. and He definitely... I, I don't see him shirking away from those issues. So at the very, at the very least, any any player can make a mistake. But he's not, he's not hiding as a consequence of that. He's not shirking his responsibilities. Yes. And you've and, and you've got to give him a lot of credit because I mean he's, he's he he does show the drive and the commitment to get on the end of that Miovsky, um The effort was saved in order to get us back in the game in 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 the first place. So yeah, absolutely. And as I say, there's a there's an assist for a goal on Wednesday night as well. And you're not expecting him to be the one to to win that header necessarily when it comes in. Um, but he does well. He does well to get some target, and it gets us right back in that game. So overall, I think he's made a positive contribution to the season. Players are going to make mistakes, particularly at our level. I think that that's going to happen. I think that players deserve a level of grace for that and shouldn't be hounded if they're making individual mistakes, which I suppose is happening now in, in football and social media. But when you've had players who are repeatedly falling below standards and there's no consequence, there's absolutely no consequence, then it, it undermines the whole side. Uh, one final thing as well. Um, we've, 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 we've laid into... Kel Roos. Um, there was another goalkeeper on the pitch yesterday as well. Um, David Marshall. Um, Martin somehow um, avoided a red card for what is a, a pretty, a pretty, a pretty terrible foul on Mayowski in the box. Um, I've seen people say that he got the ball first. Um, well, if it's outside the box, um, I've seen people get the ball first and then take out a man and get sent off. Keepers. Are refereed to a different standard. We know that keepers seem to get benefit of the doubt every day, um, but that was that was surely a red card, wasn't it? I think all that we would ask in these situations is some level of consistency, and we have seen in the past, and I, I think that is a directive which is supposed to be applied for at least any outfield player, that if you're going into a challenge with where, where you're out of control or there's a degree of recklessness in your approach and you get that challenge, you time that challenge wrong and that ends up in you fouling the other player, then you, you are or should be in a significant amount of trouble and, and if anything it's 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 a, a lot more impactful when you're dealing with because obviously a goalkeeper is in a very unique situation where he's legitimately allowed to go into a challenge with his hands and again we all know that part of the modern goalkeepers kind of remit is you know 
they're far they're far more often be going into situations where they're looking to punch the ball away. So again, you wouldn't want to get decisions which completely officiates out the ability of a goalkeeper to lead with their with their with their gloves if they're looking to punch a ball out. But um, it's very it's obviously very very hard to tell that in 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 real time. But again, coming back to the VAR situation. Is, is that not what it is there for? That something might be very difficult for a referee to judge at full pace with regards to whether he's got to that ball early or, or, or late. Um, it looks like he has got a touch in the ball, but it's only after... Mioski's uh, definitely got to that first. He's got to the ball first. If it's come off, if the ball's come off Marshall's gloves at all, it's been after the ball's been headed by Mioski and it's glanced off his glove on his way to impacting directly into Boyan's chops. Um, and we've seen that before where my, my understanding is even if you've gone into that challenge uh, with 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 um, all intentions of going for the book for the ball which I, I i genuinely don't doubt but again i would go back to that graham shinney red card at dingwall at the tail end of the last season the, the way that's been officiated is if you're if you're deemed to be in any way uh, reckless or out of control you don't get to the ball first and you end up taking out the player afterwards and again that's incredibly serious to be punching uh, effectively again i'm not i'm not saying there's intent but the 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 the, the real life outcome of that is that he has punched boyan Miyoski in the face and um that obviously could have quite significant uh short-term and long-term health implications being being punched in the face um and yeah i i, I think while again i don't think there was any degree of malice from the goalkeeper in that regard if if you're going to go if you're going to go in at that pace leading with your fist and you don't get that right then you you ought to be expected to be potentially in a situation where you live with the consequences and i think uh i think i think yeah that 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 should have been off uh, thanks for that, Dr. Ingram. Being punched in the face isn't very good for you. Um, yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. And I agree with most of what you say there. I mean, it is, if, if you consider a player who is sec- second late uh, to the ball and catches uh, the opposition player with a leg, then it's a foul. I, I, I think you can argue with Toss about a red card. I think there's an attempt to get the ball there. I think it's it's accidental. It's not deliberate, but it's definitely a foul. Definitely a foul and should have been a penalty kick. Similarly to um, Celtic got a foul uh, penalty at Easter Road the other week where um, the guy went into the back of a player with his head, went into another player's head with his head. Um, back in the day, those things didn't seem to be given. We all remember, obviously, Guy McKay-Steven um, not getting a penalty kick in the League Cup final. That should have been a penalty, just like the one the other night should have been and was a penalty for Celtic at Hibs, just like Slobodan Rubicic was very lucky not to pick up a red card at Parkhead for going into the back of uh, their player there, uh, despite the glee that some of our support took about that challenge. So I, I think the tide is turning with a lot of these things, because you're right, um, in those scenarios, head-to-head or goalkeeper-type challenges seem to be treated differently, but I think we we are... We are changing on that and recognising the danger that's inherent there. But again, the pictures, I suppose, to give them maybe the slightest benefit of doubt, the pictures are inconclusive and not conclusive enough to probably change the referee's mind. But to me, from what I'd seen at the game and what I'd seen subsequently, obviously we had 
a view, different angle view from where I sit. And yeah, I thought both Devlin's handball in the um, first half and then the challenge of Miofsky should both have been penalty kicks. So that that'll do for those two those two games then, right? So um, as I mentioned at the outset, we um, we invited some of your your questions as well. Um, so we'll just take a few of them. We'll, we'll combine into 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 one because they they seem to do seem to overlap. Um, our first one, Richard, I'll come to you. Uh, came from Ian Brown. Um, why are our fans so hard on youth products? It's kind of always been the way, really. Um, I think historically. Um, Players coming through the youth team and Aberdonians in particular seem to seem to cop it. There'd be a sort of period of 10, 15 games where young players would be, you know, probably actually given more leeway than established pros, which is what you want. You want to, to see them given the opportunity to make mistakes, given the opportunity to develop. And it's important that that happens not just from the manager, allowing them the game time that they need to do that, the consistent game time they need to do that. But it's important that the people in the stands do that as well. But yes, it definitely seems to be the case that quite often the finger of blame if a side hits a downturn tends to go to local guys tends to go to the players that have come through the ranks it's uh it's it's been this way for a long time people before me would people who went to potato before me would would tell you that um that well before i was around that it was again local players youth products that would um that would be the first to get the stick davy rob was a very very good example now people look back and rightly consider Davy Robb to be something of an Aberdeen legend, but he got some ridiculous stick. And you go back and look at the old newspaper cuttings and you can see it comes across in that. And this is an age where it wasn't the wall-to-wall coverage of football either. It wasn't just looking for an angle for a story in the paper. It was something that was reported on the on the Monday morning and Alistair McDonald's uh, match reports about the stick that Davy Robb would be getting. And, you know, looking back, that seems ridiculous with his output, with the goals he scored, the fact that he scored in a a league cup winning team it it just seems to have always been the way and it it's so counterproductive you know I, i'm not i don't think uh jack mckenzie's again really pulling up any trees this year but i think he's done well he's come in and he's performed pretty effectively and been asked to perform a number of different roles i thought he was our best player in the park on saturday and he was a guy who again when he broke in he was kind of seen lauded as the next big thing. And that was clearly never really going to be the case that he was going to reach those levels. But then subsequently, there was a point where, you know, it was his fault. Everything bad was because of him. But no, he was a decent young pro looking to make his way, looking to progress. He's going to have up spells. He's going to have down spells. And we see that with kind of all young professionals. To be honest, I think, you know, we're seeing that with Leighton Clarkson now as well. A lot of people are now kind of writing off Leighton Clarkson. I don't think that's right. You forget how young Leighton Clarkson is and how few professional games Leighton Clarkson has played. I think there's still a real talent there and I think he'll come through and demonstrate that consistency again and that level of performance again. So it's twofold, really. It's the it's the need to support players beyond that initial spurt, beyond that initial 10-15 game period. And, you know, ideally, we shouldn't be getting on the back of any of our own players, ideally. But, you know, I'm a realist. I understand that that happens. I understand why, you know, people were cheering when uh, Che Morris came off on Wednesday. I don't think it's helpful, but I completely understand it. Um, So, it has always happened. 
Should we stop doing it? Yeah, we should stop doing it. Will we stop doing it? No, of course we won't. Martin, um, on the back of that one, um, there's a similar, on a similar theme. Uh, we've got a question from Sandy Fordyce who says Connor Barron will probably, well, Connor Barron will be playing elsewhere next season. Uh, Sandy felt he was poor yesterday. Do you think Connor Barron is getting sound advice? Uh, the shepherd speaks. Um, yeah, I mean the. <sighs> Connor Barron is an interesting one because, again, I was saying beforehand, I think it's been interesting the comparison between um, how what treatment he's got with regards to some other people at the club who whose minds may already be uh, elsewhere for for next season. And again, I don't know definitively if that's going to be the the the, the case or not. Um, sadly, I think one aspect of it, and again, this this goes back to this point. Uh, this time last season as well. Unfortunately, it's um, it's exactly why um, it's in the interest of certain clubs that certain uh, certain rumours start circling around in, in media and certain approaches are made about uh, the, the, the the chances that they may well be getting an opportunity to join one of those clubs at some point in the future. And, and we, we, we seasoned dandies know that uh, the whole point is uh, to try and... Uh, Get that thought in players' heads, and then um, uh, get 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 their uh, attention to turn. And uh, I dare say, at certain points, that may well have been true. But um, I, I'm maybe bringing it back to that thing because I'd, 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 I'd probably like to conjoin that with the idea and youth products. I'd I'd like to give these guys a benefit of doubt. Um, I I personally don't have any doubt that um, he he still committed at least in relation to for the remainder of this season in in that i don't think he had one of his better games on saturday but over the piece when he has had the opportunity i i personally think he's been our best midfielder this season um and uh you know i, th- I think i think aberdeen's still very dear to him i was um i was uh, out in the frozen tundra of cormac park for a midweek game with that when aberdeen women were playing and um i saw he he uh, connor had turned up during that during that game undoubtedly he was in at cormac park for her other bits and pieces but um turned up was came came to show his support and um uh i think that's always a good sign to see in a player that he's um, interested in what's going on with other things in the club and and, and how other teams are getting on so I, I think he deserves a bit of a break, as 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 do a number of our our youth products. I'll t- I'll tell you one one of our um, former youth products that doesn't get a lot of love anymore. Lawrence Shankland, <laughs> that, that, that's a guy who just gets all all manners of abuse from Aberdeen supporters these days. But I think it's maybe kind of points to that kind of challenge that we have at Aberdeen, where for a lot of the time, and again, it maybe doesn't hit the same uh, in in current seasons with how badly we've been struggling. But 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 for the, the 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 most part certainly under the kind of McInnes tenure, I think you've had the difficulty of Aberdeen when 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 things are going well and we're performing at a certain level, um, you you are going to need a player of a certain standard to 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 break into the team and as you'll see somebody like Lawrence Shankland who's now proven that he has the quality and the chops to be performing at that level but he wasn't showing it. At that at that point with Aberdeen a number of years ago when he was a good bit younger and 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 what do you do I mean you, you at that point you wouldn't have dropped Adam Rooney out of the team because he was you know firing on all cylinders and was the go-to guy so what you find is that if you're not uh, if you're if essentially if you're not Ian Jess or you're like some ph- phenomenal talent you can just step on step on the pitch and hit the ground running then you're always going to find it difficult to get 
that kind of long-term level of play at Aberdeen unless unless we happen to be at a period where we're struggling and we don't have any other options. Well, we've got one right now. We've got Alfie Bavage right now who has had to go out loan. I don't think that's a particularly bad thing for Alfie Bavage this season to go out on loan. But it's about making sure that Alfie continues to have his head screwed on and continues to work hard at his development, which by all accounts was not the case with Lawrence Shankland for much of his time in Aberdeen and in fact until he arrived at Air United. So um, you're not going to expect every 17-year-old, every bright young thing from the under-18s to, to step up to the first team and really make an impact immediately. You know, Alfie saw some good minutes towards the end of last season and it looked as if, you know, this was going to be a good pathway for him. We're going to see more of him this season. Turned out the club went out and bought uh, a job lot of new players, which included two new strikers. Now, I think it was probably a suspicion that neither Lopez nor Miofsky would last the season. It's turned out that they have both stayed here for the season, so we've ended up with four senior strikers on the books and two of them not really seeing much in the way of game time. So Alfie's gone out, he's got some minutes, he's now started to score on a consistent basis both for his club team and obviously he got a hat-trick for the under-19 team. Neither of those things, scoring in League 1 or scoring at under-19, means that he's ready to come back in and lead the line for Aberdeen, because that's the other side of it as well. We're all kind of, oh, play the youth, play the youth, play the youth. You stick them in too early, and you ruin them. I think Alfie needs to, as I say, go and demonstrate that he can play and score goals week in, week out. And if you look at his goal-scoring record, it's only really picked up in the last few weeks, last month or so. It was a slow start out on loan, and that's okay, because moving to a new environment, moving to a new team, moving to a new league it can be difficult to adapt and that's okay but he's he's developing he's getting minutes at a decent level and he's developing the challenge now for Alfie is to come back in with the absolute right mindset and tackle what he has head on it will be a different environment at the start of next season in terms of the players that are still here um you know that includes players who might be leaving because other people want them and we get good value for them and other players who might be going out without us getting any return on them. It will be a different environment and it's up to him to force himself into the thoughts of the next manager that comes in. Okay, we'll move on to the next couple. We had um, we've had a few questions about the Scottish Cup. Um, you know, there's, there's, always, there's always a negative one, so Slavia Aberdeen, of course, says are Kilmarnock winning the quarter-final and by how many goals? But we're going to ignore that one um, because we've got from Craig Ladingham, do you think this team is capable of winning the Scottish Cup it, it'll be, as it will be the only way we're getting European football next season? I think that's fair. Uh, but Richard, more importantly, from Mark Stephen is, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would shithouse in our way at the Scottish Cup and consigning hearts to the qualifying rounds rank? Um, touched upon this a few weeks ago and um, winning the Scottish Cup full stop would be amazing that would be the icing on top of a beautiful beautiful cake Um, it would be very very funny I might organise a personal uh, open top bus parade down Gorgie Road if that were to happen I'll I'll take the tenant sixes out of the the boardroom and and they can can see that as well, it being the only trophy that they've won with money they actually had of their own Um, it's not going to happen, is it? it? It's absolutely not going to happen because of the teams left, who do you think we can beat of the teams that are left? Because I, I think right now, you look at you look at a team like Kilmarnock 
who we've got in the next round. They're a better team than us. And it's not just Kilmarnock, it's Dundee, it's St Mirren, although they're both out of the cup. They're not just better in terms of performing better per pound spent. That's definitely the case. They are, quite simply, a better team than us. They might not have better individuals, but they are a better, more functioning football team than us this season. Can we win a one-off game against them at home? Yes. Do I believe that we will? I'm not really that optimistic, no. And that's Kilmarnock. And the quarterfinal is probably going to end up with a semi-final, it looks like. Hearts, the Rangers, Celtic, and the winner of that tie, Aberdeen and Kilmarnock. Are we winning two games against that opposition this season? No, no, we're not. We're not. We're not. I'm sorry, we're not. I, I would love us to, and anything can happen in football. God knows that. But we're not getting through those three ties. We, we just don't have the the balls, quite simply, in the, in this side to bring it down to its basis level, the balls to win those three games. Right, listeners, um, you know, you all know that Richard Hay is a man who likes to keep the receipts. So in May, when we lift the Scottish Cup, I want you all to keep the receipt for that last statement uh, and tweet us in and let us know um, that that you know Richard was wrong because it you know it doesn't happen very often, Richard. Um, it happens so. about twelve times a week, frankly. <laughs> in fairness, I think even Richard would be delighted for that one to be cast in. Should that oh, happen? If, 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 if we win, the should Scottish I promise Cup, to get yeah. it to two or something? <laughs> I, I I absolutely dare you. Yes, that that's been done, Richard. That's that's very <laughs> Don't let him off with it, Martin. Come on. Um, let's oh, tell you what, right? Look, let's have a let's have a. We'll go back. We'll go back to the, the keeper conversation, but we won't we won't bury Calarus in this one. Um, the Twitter account remember Ulavi has said to us, uh, name a worse Aberdeen keeper who's played more than ten games than Calarus. Now, Martin. Um, I'll be honest, I read this question and I'm actually really annoyed with, with this guy for doing this because he made me have to go and look up Jason Brown um, <laughs> because I, I, I got as far back as Jason Brown and then I stopped looking because I really uh, I started, I wanted to cry. Um, anyone, anyone else you would come up with? I, again, I hope what, 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 what we mean by that is in a kind of a 10 or plus game scale because again, that's yeah. as, 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 as what I was kind of commenting on earlier that I think we're very quick when somebody's going through a bad run of form just to forget the seasons of good performances that we've got out of them beforehand and just focus on the negative right now so um it's 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 definitely not gone his way in recently and it probably i think the time probably is up for him right now but i don't think that should completely overshadow the fact that he has had spells with the club which were far far better than some of the performances we've seen from uh, other other goalkeepers i'm trying to remember i'm hoping one of you two will be able to correct me which 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 goalkeeper it was I, th- I think it was either colin or aaron lennox that came in in the last day of the season for a, a meaningless game against ross county and shipped four goals and i thought that's that's a that's a pretty impressive one-off effort to uh yeah it was uh, it was aaron lennox that actually played lennox, yeah. in that game but only after adam collins had been dropped after um his three game run prior to that having um Letting a terrible go against Hearts, as I recall correctly. But no, Aaron Lennox is one game for Aberdeen Football Club, uh, a 4-0 defeat at Ross County. I don't recall him being directly responsible for any of the goals, to be honest with you. It was a very much a shadow side that day as we looked to avoid yellow cards, but yeah. yeah. Bertrand Bossu, although we didn't really get an awful lot of 
looking either. So uh, yeah, and he doesn't hit the ten game mark either. Yeah, definitely. Mercifully. Not, so. so in terms of yeah, in, ter- in terms of ten plus games, that's actually pretty tricky because you're 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 already starting to look at players that must have been not terrible enough to have at least got a a, a, a few games. And I think you're right, J- Jason Brown. I think probably does hit that mark, and I think that would be a very good shout. Jason um, Brown has a far better goals conceded per start ratio than Kelowice, by the way. Um, Jason Brown is 0.926 per game, whereas <laughs> Kelowice is 1.35 per game. 1.36, actually, in the rounding, per game. Uh, now, obviously, Jason Brown had the dubious benefit of playing uh, behind Craig Brown's steel wall um, which meant that we didn't leave the half we didn't leave our own half uh, for for 90 minutes so we were unlikely to concede I mean we were never going to score but we were unlikely to concede Um, you have to actually go back to um, someone from around that same period to find a keeper who's played more than 10 games and has conceded more goals per game than Kelarus and that man is a man you've probably forgotten uh, David Gonzalez See, oh, that man, is the mark of someone legend. who has uh, forgotten. So, you know, many people have said to me, oh, God, it makes me really long for Jamie Langfield. Oh, Jamie Langfield is as Theo Snell does compared to what we've been seeing lately, quite frankly. It is, you know, I'm longing for the likes of Jason Brown. I'm longing for David Hanzales. I'm longing for Mark Howard, Derek Suter, Nicky Walker. Maybe that's gone a bit far. Nicky Walker's the worst Aberdeen goalkeeper I've seen. There you go. Uh, Lee, my, League Cup, League Cup finals winner, Nicky Walker, I think. <laughs> I, knew, I knew for us, no, 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 no. That was uh, Michael Watt. I, I knew Richard that you know when presented with the opportunity, you were not going to miss the miss the chance to to have a have a pop at that Craig Brown team, a team and era. You you never disappoint me. I'm so glad. <laughs> um, uh, our next one. Um, is on the on the manager, um, or well, well, what will be the next manager? A um, couple of questions here we we'll had from uh, Twitter account Chateau Windy, which is what's the last date that the club can appoint a new full time manager before next season also becomes a write off? Um, he would suggest anything past May the first. Um, and we also have from Angus Knox um, asking us: Would we expect that a manager is appointed before the end of the season so they can at least watch the last few games and assess what what is there? Um, could see it getting messy if we were actually waiting until the end of the season before speaking to candidates. Uh, Richard? Well, they should be drawing, you know, they, they should be speaking to people now, and you would hope that they are speaking to people now. I think in terms of recruitment, again, we have to understand that this is to a large extent being divorced from the role of manager, and that whoever comes in and manager should, again, in theory, be playing in a way that is consistent with the ethos, the Aberdeen way, everything that was outlined in that uh, uh, famous PowerPoint document that was put out a couple of years ago. But of course, in reality, as we spoke about a few weeks ago, this hasn't actually happened because what we don't have in place is the structure that we were believed that we were getting of an actual director of sport, sporting director, whatever, with autonomy, with the ability to properly implement that style throughout the club, under 18 level, all the way up to first team. So, we obviously have this period right now where we have apparently consultants um, in looking at the setup of the club. You don't really need that. You just need to, and again, I don't want to blow our own trumpets here, just go back to the podcast we did after Dirk McInnes was sacked, and that's the structure we need to be adopting. 
Therefore, it means that the chairman has to give up some ownership, has to give up some decision making, has to give up some power. And I'm not sure how comfortable he's going to be with that decision. I'm going to interrupt to circle back on some Arata. First of all, I was obviously getting my Nickies confused because with Nicky Weaver, I was thinking of who was uh, who claimed the League Cup winner's medal in yes, 2014 yes, iteration. Yes, but even yeah. but even he couldn't have played more than a couple of games, so he wouldn't fit into the ten plus. One at Tynecastle, I think. Maybe maybe another one at Tynecastle anyway. Oh, he came. Uh, no, yeah, one at Tynecastle and came on the week before after Langfield got sent off. Font of all Don's knowledge. Um, so yeah, I. I agree entirely with Richard in this one that um, there has to be, and again, we 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 spoke about this in previous podcasts that if if Dave Cormack and the football monitoring board more generally are genuinely taking this as an opportunity to undertake a root and branch review of their operational structure, then you have to allow that process to come to its conclusion first get the people in place, be that director of football or, or whatever kind of bracket that, that comes under together with the rest of your structure and then appoint your manager thereafter. It's, it, it was obviously going to be frustrating if the process of doing that is going to be um, prolonged because obviously the time is already um, ticking for the beginning of next season or, or, or more to the point, the, the transfer, the summer transfer window opening when you then get an opportunity to look at what playing resource you might want to be bringing in to um, ad- address what will undoubtedly be yet another very changed uh, first team player squad, um, given that we are expecting quite a, quite a number of the current incumbents within the squad to either be uh, poached from us because the, they've been playing well enough to do so or because they just simply haven't been good enough to hit the standards for us to want to retain them. Um, but it's it's interesting because I did see, I think in some of the, um, it might have even been in the, the, the questions that we received for this, but I did have seen some comments in relation to them, a, a lot of supporters. Uh, Willie Miller himself was actually one of the people that spoke about this time, not, not really keen on us having, bringing consultants in to have a look at that and, you know, saying that if you're if you're bringing that then are, are you not just kind of effectively saying that the the tenure so far has been complete failure well if it hasn't been a complete failure then what, what else has it been where we've basically had uh four completely different managers in a, in a in a spell of just over three seasons if 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 that hasn't been a failure i don't know what is so um yeah, it's it's one way or another. Either either you you have confidence in the people that are currently in charge right now, in which case, how have they so spectacularly failed to put a consistent, performing football team on the pitch for 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 three seasons now? Or I would say, you know, if if they're bringing consultants in because they gen, there's a genuine realization that um, how how the the club is operating on the football side of things hasn't been working, I, I actually would uh, applaud them for doing that. And if they're doing that on a, on a genuine basis and not just again just putting something out like we're we're, we're nominally putting a couple of guys on the books just to um, show the facade that we're looking to do something different, and all that happens is that. Um, you know, you have exactly the same people returning, but they have different name tags on, or it's a different person's going to be on the rotation for bringing the Friday Rowies into the club. Then, yeah, that that's a different story. But if there's a if there's a genuine acceptance that the the, the way that the football operation has been going has not worked, um, and that they want to take the time and put the resource into addressing that, then yeah, you've just got to allow that to. 
to, to to go through its its full progression and then and then once you have that in place you can you can then look at the the, the, the long-term management situation after that and there can't possibly be any illusions inside the building that what we've seen has worked we got as i say that run towards the end of last season that salvaged what you know was a significant prize of third place football but you know in order to get there we had to have the most humiliating cup defeat this side this uh, team's ever had in its 120 year history and we've endured a lot of pain that scottish cup tie against kilmarnock is actually going to be pretty much three years to the day that you can say that Cormac Ball properly started with the dismissal of Derek McInnes. And um, it would be quite the footnote to this uh, little spell if Kilmarnock are the ones to knock us out of the Scottish Cup and then Dundee are the ones to deny us a, a top six finish maybe a couple of weeks later. And nobody here is suggesting that Derek McInnes should be back as Aberdeen manager. If you go back and listen to that our podcast or look at our feed from back then, we were very much in agreement that his time was up. His time was gone. We were going in ever-decreasing circles with that recruitment approach and clearly with a board at that time who, who weren't prepared to back the manager. And that's fine. And you move on. You hope to then make sensible, clear-headed decisions going forward. But we haven't done that. We've made decisions that have kind of reacted to the situation. I think the the opportunity obviously squandered is really that initial one, where we end up with the wrong appointment. A guy who Cormac saw more in than really he deserved to see in, and Stephen Glass. And he wasn't really supported by the club structure at the time because we were late in putting in recruitment teams and uh, everything else that Stephen Glass probably needed to be a success. That's not to say that he wasn't the architect of his own downfall and I think probably Cormac would probably look back and think maybe he should have given Stephen Glass a bit more time now. Maybe he should have stuck with his guy a little bit longer. That maybe things weren't quite as bad as it seemed. So because of the perceived failings in Stephen Glass, we move away from the model. We end up appointing somebody who I don't think, under the words that were spoken 12 months earlier, would have been in with a shout. We appoint someone very much seen in the Derek McInnes mould and Jim Goodwin. And when that turns out to be a disaster, and we have someone minding the shop, the guy minding the shop appears to be a genius, a football genius, so we have to appoint him, except it turns out he wasn't a football genius, he was just just a man. Um, And, you know... We're here. We're here now and it's been a shambles. It's been three years of muddled thinking, squandered money and we're worse off. Not no better off, worse off than we were three years ago. And it's um, it's depressing. It's really depressing. And my faith in the people inside that building being able to choose someone, being able to convince someone as well. You know what? They can... They can drop the fantasy list of names on a page, but how are those people who have presided over this mess going to be able to convince them that they know enough about what they're doing to allow the new manager and new head coach to be able to do their job effectively? And that's really, for me, the crux of the matter is... You know, a lot of a lot of heat for Stephen Gunn at the moment because people think he's actually a director of football or he's maybe got that title, but he's not. He's not. He is pretty much as he was, football operations man. We'll get the signings that the recruitment team have identified over the line, hopefully. Certainly had his work cut out the last uh, last summer. That's what he is. He's not 
got that overall power, that autonomy, that still clearly lists, yeah, football management board, whatever, it still clearly lies with Dave Cormack. Okay, we'll get our final question here. Um, that'll maybe a bit of a lighter one. Um, Martin, um, who do we fancy in the group stages of the League Cup next season? Um, Mark, this came from Martin Stone, um, you know, many times former guest of the podcast. Uh, he suggests he fancies Martin, Forfar and Bonnie Rig away. Um, I guess this question really comes down to where have you not been that you would like to go? Yeah, basically. Um, if... if oh, oh. Obviously, we still hope against hope that we will be playing European football um, uh, come the the tail end of the summer months. Um, but it's looking sadly increasingly unlikely. I think uh, you've already outlined the the challenges of of doing that by way of winning the Scottish Cup and um, with the current league form. Um, I think even even getting a top six spot now is looking challenging, albeit still in our own hands. Um, I I still. I'm one of those people that uh, said while Pilot obviously would prefer us to playing European football. I, I definitely like like the the, the opportunities that uh, League Cup group stage football can uh, offer us in terms of going to places that we've not been before. There's only there's only a few grounds that I would still need to chalk off. So um, so like some of the newer grounds like I mean Anan Athletic, for example, I think Alabank might be a nice place to to to, to go and visit. Um, we still haven't whether it's home or away, so maybe one of our home games. But um, an Aberdeen derby with Cove hasn't happened yet, has it? So that would be another interesting one to have. But um, uh, yeah, um, lest anyone forget that golden spell of summer 2022, the League Cup group stage invincibles, four wins out of four games. Um, well, quite. What I'm most looking forward to at this point, uh, after those four games, is people determining that whatever terrible centre-half we brought off from England is in fact magnificent. He turns out to be an Anthony Stewart Mark too. So um, that, I think that's the, most, most, the thing that I'm most looking forward to, definitely. And uh, just just based on that question as well, the, f- the very final one, Richard, is um, came from Alexander Wilson, and I'll read out his Twitter handle as well because he, requ- he obviously requires a response from Ali Wilson, nineteen eighty seven. Um, he's asking, and I assume he's asking all three of us as well as the wider podcast listeners, uh, what would you like to order from his pre-match barbecue when Aberdeen open their League Cup campaign on a sunny July evening in Peterhead? Burger, sausages, chicken, he'll get his order at the butcher soon. Um, I'll just take a cheeseburger, please, Alex. Um, Richard? You see, it's the thing. People are like, oh, I want to go to these grounds and go to these games. But but you're playing them in perfect sunshine in, in July or a lovely summer's evening in July. These grounds, a lot of them, are best seen. And certainly, like, Capolo is put up as an example. I'd love to have a game at Capolo, but it, it's got to be under the lights properly. It's got to be with the rain coming in horizontally if you can have that full Scottish football experience. Uh, I think these games are, are fraudulent partly because of that, because it's just at the wrong time of year for the genuine Scottish football experience. And hence why we should be gallivanting about Europe rather than pissing about in the league cup stages. I'm going to answer so not, that question so, so, in the spirit so intended. I'm, so, I'm, not I'm, I'm, of, so not a fan of a barbecue though, Richard, <laughs> I don't get invited to many, more. <laughs> No, if we're if we're if we're if we're if we're having to go to the blue tunes for the league league cup group stages, then I expect a bag of cookies from the Hame Bakery waiting for me. Thank you very much. Which one has the wimpy? Is that Fraser Brown? That's Fraser that's, that's, oh, right, okay. that's the Brock. I've already. I've, I've already just I've just started warfare. There. I've, I've just started some internecting warfare. So, what have you done? 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, that was your questions. Thank you very much. Uh, very briefly, we're against. We're away to Colmarnock next weekend, Richard. Um, you know, it's the as you, as you corrected me last week. It's the first. It'll be the the first time that um, McInnes and Warnock have faced off since the Battle of Bramall Lane. Um, that's probably the that that may be something that's stirred up in the press during the during the week. Um, it's just hate to hate to say this because it's so such a lazy thing to say. It's so obvious. We really have to try and get get three points here again, don't we? Well, I would hope that's the attitude most weeks. Um, yeah. But really hard to see it with this team. Really hard to see them being robust enough to um, to deal with what will be a challenging challenging afternoon. I think most sides in the league have found it difficult to go to Kilmarnock and play and um, we find it difficult to go everywhere and play. So, um, you know, I think you can rule out us keeping a clean sheet. Should be capable of scoring down there. Um, Obviously this season though, in the two games against them, we haven't. And the performance then at Rugby Park earlier this season was one of the very worst that we put in in a season of lows. So to say that I'm not full of optimism ahead of Saturday would be an understatement. Yeah, I would share those concerns. And again, as we just covered, um, we've had a couple of home games back-to-back against teams that are literally in and around us at the moment in that kind of seven, eight, nine spot. And we haven't managed to get a win out of either of them. We're now having to go away from home um, on the plastic, as Neil Warnock said, um, and um, trying to get a result against a team that um, objectively, subjectively, um, have been playing better than us. They've, 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 they've just gone and got a very deserved result at uh, Celtic Park, which is something we've not done for quite a number of years now. So, um, yeah, um, all, all objective facts would seem to point to the fact that we're not going to get a three points, but you never know. It's sometimes in in those situations when when a result is least expected that um something turns up out of the blue so you know yeah if nothing else uh, brings us any hope then at least we've got blind optimism that will keep us through keep us going until brighter sunnier days one thing i will say on the marginally positive side is this is he's got a clear week ahead of the game on saturday which will be the first time he's probably really had some time on the training ground with his team and can hopefully try and impart some of his uh, some of his ideas or knock some sense into that back line yeah let, let's just uh let's let's hope that you know he's like you say richard he's got a few days um we can hope we can be we can try and be positive, and who knows we would we can reconvene next Sunday, um, and hopefully we'll be we'll be talking about how Neil Warnock's Showtime Reds have swept aside uh, the, the the old managers managers you no know, decent decent Kilmarnock team, uh, but anyway until then uh, that brings our podcast to a close. Been a lot of fun, been a lot of fun answer you know taking taking part in reading your questions and getting some answers. Um, Thank you very much, as always, Martin Ingram. Thanks a lot for having me on again. And um, that self-imposed talk of uh, getting cookies from the Hame Bakeries may be very hungry to go and find a, a rowie in the middle of the night. I'm not sure I'm going to manage that. but uh... oh, well. um, And Richard, um, thanks again. Some top stat work from you this evening as well. Real, real digging down with some of that goalkeeper stuff. Thank you very much. Fun is such a terribly subjective word, isn't it? 
it is, you know. I mean, it's it, it's it's sad that I say I have fun doing this, you know. I mean, that says a lot more about me than it does about either either a you two or or indeed any of the listeners. Nine uh, years, baby, nine years. Nine years, and you cannot shake me off, Richard. That's the thing is, you're stuck with me. Is that, is that nine years? I was just say to if to cl- close off, given the fact that the community trust got a a, a big fanfare and uh, uh, Richard Donald end for their ten years. Can we expect something <laughs> similar for the podcast? Next I am going to insist on a testimonial <coughs> next season for for for, te- for ten years of just sitting being belittled by Richard every 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 couple of weeks or whatever. What have we got? <laughs> Fifteen years to catch up on the red final. <laughs> Let's let's. Um, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure someone like Mezzanine must be listening to this. Let's see if we can get a crowdfunder going and uh, make it happen. <laughs> well, they're doing something every other week now, so you know. <laughs> Each game's yeah. a unique experience. We might be shite, but <clears throat> each home game's a unique experience. At least we and, can and, have that to cling on to when we get relegated. And, and not not only that, given where you now sit within the ground, Richard, you can make sure that um, all the people in the the corporate boxes actually come out and actually hold their flags out when we get the presentation as well make sure we get a proper showing i have been desperately trying to make it as cut as close and close to kickoff time to get in my seat not because of the flags or the or the displays or anything but because of that fucking song <laughs> you're not a fan you're not a fan of hell's bells no Anyway, right. Thanks, thanks again, guys. We'll be back next weekend. Um, hopefully, talking about a talking about a victory over Kilmarnock. And unfortunately, we're going to have to preview St. Johnson again. But I'm not going to think about that for another seven days. Until then, come on, you Reds.